Berkeley Yeast, creators of the bioengineered yeast Tropics, which makes beer with insanely potent passion fruit and guava notes. I actually brewed with Tropics after we talked about it on episode 188, and the next day the brewery smelled like a guava orchard. Now, Berkeley Yeast just released Thiol Boost, which is a liquid thiol precursor that will take it to another level. Mention this podcast to get 15% off your next order. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Sponsored by Fermentus. Whether you want a crisp, sweet, or fruity cider, discover the Saf Cider range. Every Saf Cider strain is certified ETU, so you can choose to pitch directly into the wort or proceed to rehydration. It makes no difference. It's up to you. We guarantee the same results. For the latest on their exciting new product releases and to learn how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, visit Fermentus.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to GusmerBeer.com. when you're trying to do everything small brewery trying to do everything on your own without any additional you know funds you're just kind of getting real creative and just the idea that there could be some funds out there to 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 push uh to push forward some some additional learning and share with the industry was really nice yeah if i recall i think the first year we did it actually was was the largest it was roughly a hundred thousand dollars This week on the show, Master Brewers wants to fund your next innovation. We'll hear how the program works, as well as an overview of several projects that have already been funded. Doug Wilson, uh, Director of Sales and Marketing at Hopsteiner and uh, Master Brewers President. Hi, I'm Lauren Torres. I am with Anton Parn. I'm the Technical Sales Representative for Michigan and Toledo, and I'm currently the Vice President for the Master Brewers. Hi, my name is Molly Browning, and I am Second VP of Master Brewers. Hi, I'm Mark Yegi. I'm chairman of the MBAA Safety Committee. Uh, Kurt Driesner, the Quality and Process Manager at Urban Chestnut in St. Louis. Hi, this is Tom Schellheimer. I'm Norwester Professor of Fermentation Science at Oregon State University. Uh, my name is Ryan Bross, and I am the Quality Control Manager at uh, Surly Brewing Company in Minneapolis. I'm Mike Bion. I'm in the Quality Lab at Allagash Brewing in Portland, Maine. You know, I, I don't know very much about the innovation fund that we have at Master Brewers. Uh, give, me a, give me the lay of the land. What's, what's this thing all about? 
The, the Innovation Fund was actually created back in uh, 2019, um, back when, when I was actually treasurer of Master Brewers. Um, they, had, they had asked me, they being the executive committee, uh, to what, what we wanted to do was uh, find a way that we could reinvest uh, some of our, our uh, solid financial performance back into the organization. So they had asked me to come, come up with um, an, a policy for uh, what we were calling then the innovation fund. And um, so we worked on that and um, it, it was, it was ba- the, the number, how we arrive at those number, the number for the innovation fund, the total numbers uh, is, is based on a percentage of uh, the, the market value of our investment fund uh, at the time, at the end of the year, when we're doing the budgeting process uh, as a kind of a baseline number. And then we had a supplemental calculation based on the net income uh, that uh, the master brewers made uh, the, the prior year, and 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 really the 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 basis for the you know that that setup is one to provide a fund that uh, our 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 membership could could access to to generate new content, while also um, providing providing some safety nets uh, to the executive committee and to future treasurers and board of governors uh, that, that we're still performing our, our financial, you know, due diligence um, in, in uh, meeting our fiduciary responsibility to allocate, re, you know, our resources based on the overall, uh, overall financial health of the organization. So that, that's really where, where the fund started in it's 2000. It's nice to get asked to spend all the money, isn't it, Doug? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the innovation fund is approved by the board of governors through the budgeting process each year. And, uh, and it's a zero based budgeting. So, you know, no funds from the prior year that go unused roll into the next year. It's, it's uh, reset uh, the following year. So it was created in, uh, I think the first year was two, uh, 2020. And uh, what we, what we saw the first few years was uh, we did a we didn't do the best job of of really advertising that 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 those funds were available. So uh, this last year, uh, we did finally come up with a uh, an application process and a scoring rubric that um, and and then announced it to the to the membership that hey these funds are available. Um, try to make use of them, and uh, we got uh, several several very good applications this year. Uh, pretty happy with with what what came from that. So, so who exactly is eligible to participate in this? Who who has access to these funds? Pretty much anyone. Um, there's there's really no no limitation. the The thought process is we we really wanted there to be a mechanism for for the membership at large to bubble up ideas for new content rather than you know uh, pushing down. Uh, down ideas either from from national or from the executive or for you know from districts even um, and, and really let the creativity and the experiences and the and uh, the talent of of individual members uh, throughout the organization to bring to bring new ideas for for new content you know I think another opportunity that we've realized through this process is it gives us an opportunity to work with people on who are interested in submitting future ideas uh, and it helps us, you know, if they're, um, if their plan and how they're going to execute their study maybe has some holes in it. We have taken the opportunity to communicate that back with them and um, give them recommendations on how to improve their submission for the future. So that is something else that we've um, been doing too and kind of hoping to coach and grow people as well to be great contributing members to MBAA. 
We also put um, some guardrails around the application process that I think it's important um, that I don't think were previously there. Um, just encouraging applicants to submit through either their board of governors rep or through their district. Um, so really coming from individual districts. And then we did have a deadline. So I, we might have extended it a little bit, but it was in April of this year. That yeah, I think it was tax day, April 15th. Yeah. So everything flows through a district, it sounds like. That was kind of the idea, uh, the initial idea, I think, when we were trying to um, evaluate uh, how to streamline the application process and make it make it a really visible, visceral uh, uh, aspect of master brewers that districts could apply for. So do, does the district leadership kind of need to give it a rubber stamp before you guys even get it or not so much? That was kind of the the thought process, not necessarily a rubber stamp, but to to at least have the district put eyes on it and so that they're aware of what's coming, you know, coming from their members. Um, it can also come from a, a, a committee, a national uh, master brewers committee, too. So it can either go through a district or through an actual committee. One other component of the innovation fund as well is that we've used it to contribute to things, uh, hot topics or whatever has come up. I think a great example of that uh, is during the Me Too movement, things that were going on. We use some of that money to help kick off our DEI committee, which has been a really active committee. So some of the funds have gone there. Um, but, you know, I think it took, we had to get the fund into place and, um, communication with the, within the executive board to kind of sort out what sort of projects do we want to utilize these funds for. So that's kind of how this um, developed into wanting to create an opportunity for people to get good research and questions done to help contribute to the education for master brewers. Can you give us a, um, a range of uh, how much is possible? What's What's been the most funds available so far? Yeah, if I recall, I think the first year we did it actually was was the largest. It was roughly a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, um, and again, that was uh, um, that was because the uh, the fiscal year eighteen, which is the numbers I used for kind of the initial calculation, uh, we had a pretty big gain uh, net income um, at Master Brewers. So, and twenty percent of that net income uh, is is then applied to the innovation fund. And, and since then, uh, I, I don't think our, our net income at master brewers has been, has been quite as high. The, the, uh, investment portfolio has continued to grow certainly. And so that, um, you know, that number builds each year, which is one of the benefits of the way we, we set it up is that these innovation funds can grow with our investment portfolio over time. The, the net income calculation is really that, that, um, that toggle that we can use to to make sure that we're we're being you know financially responsible. If we're not making if we're not making money at Master Brewers, and that that doesn't get applied to the innovation fund, right? So again, trying to balance that that uh, the financial health of the organization with the amount of money that we're reinvesting back in. We've got multiple recipients of these funds on the line, and we're going to learn about their projects. But first, let's hear about what the application process was like. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty easy, um, but I had a lot of help, too, behind the scenes and stuff. You know, we saw a need, you know, in the safety area for, you know, a lot of our membership out there where there was a, a pretty large gap related to their, their base fundamental knowledge, you know, some of the safety programs and how to, you know, brew beer safely. But uh as far as the application process, uh, it's it was 
pretty much seamless for me. I, I, but again, I had a lot of help there. And I mean, there was a lot of support on the master brewer side to help, help make it easier for me. So, Kurt, how about you? Uh, I think it was pretty straightforward for us and we were pretty motivated, obviously with Florian being as involved as he is. Um, you know, we kind of like already kind of knew what was for, and we had already done that project in, uh, 2016 that, you know, we, uh, presented at the world brewing Congress and we were looking for us specifically, we were looking for an opportunity to, um, you know, expand on what we had done inside the brewery then, and on that presentation kind of take next steps. And so having something like this is always kind of nice. Cause the, you know, you, when you're trying to do everything, small brewery, trying to do everything on your own without any additional, you know, funds, you know, just kind of getting real creative and just the idea that there could be some funds out there to, 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 to push, uh, to push forward some, some additional learning and share it with the industry. It was really nice. I mean, as far as the application goes, um, like I said, we've, we've gotten quite a few, uh, other grants, um, at the brewery for various other reasons outside the MBA. And I mean, the, the process for us was pretty straightforward and simple. And, um, I know Val Peacock, uh, is going to be involved with this, uh, here on this too. And so, um, he, you know, he wrote up uh, a little thing from, from his point of view and we all kind of sat down and submitted it and just, uh, you know, I said it just kind of played out and it was nice to be accepted. Cool. Tom, you're probably used to all kinds of grant proposals and stuff. Was this a piece of cake or what? Yeah, it was relatively straightforward. I don't want to say piece of cake, um, but it's a uh, piece of cake is like, here's money to take and run. Um, but uh, the, yeah, I think it was relatively straightforward and I think it's a wise idea to run it through the, the districts just to get, have a sense that they have a sense of what's coming from their membership. Um, but yeah. All right, Ryan. Uh, it was super simple um, for me. Once I got all the information on what I needed to submit, I'm just easy, write it down. I got it looked over by some of my other coworkers and just submitted to the um, district. Um, comparative to submitting for the FDA or USDA, like for some stuff for um, other uh, things that I've done in the past, much more simple than that. Okay. Mike, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'll echo what everyone else said. It was extremely smooth. I mean, uh, I kind of came in with a very clear um, project in mind and actually had already been working on a proposal to get uh, some other funding <laughs> when I went to one of the New England chapters and found out about this innovation fund. So um, I agree, like, uh, it was very well um, organized and it was great to work with some of the chapter members and they were excited about my project and helped me through the process as well. So definitely was a, a group effort, but um, overall I would say it was a, it was a very smooth, smooth process. Okay. You said you came in with a specific uh, project in mind. Uh, Mike, tell us a little bit about that project. Oh yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. So one thing in our brewery, uh, biggest, I guess, uh, forefront of our innovation has been doing a lot of different yeast strains and, um, you know, banking a lot of our own yeasts and doing one-off beers with different yeast strains and stuff like that. So propagation has been um, at the kind of forefront of our lab. And uh, for my project, I really wanted a way to differentiate different yeast strains in a, in a timely manner uh, to avoid any issues where we pitch the wrong yeast, uh, especially in the secondary fermentation uh, where the stakes are a little higher. So, uh, yeah, we 
kind of came in with an idea to resurrect uh, an old ASBC method for inter-delta sequencing um, and basically doing a, a DNA fingerprint of our yeast strains. And then um, from there, it kind of just snowballed into um, this proposal where we're looking at all the new technology that's available out there as far as ingredients like the new TAC polymerase and um, new cheaper gel boxes, that sort of thing. So it was a really cool venture to get into um, endpoint PCR and get back to gels. And um, yeah, so that's kind of where our project focused on. And what, um, talk a little bit about the benefit to the industry from that project. You know, how does that move things forward for, you know, master brewers uh, at at large? Well, I think yeast propagation has been a, it's been a topic that, um, has been quietly growing in a bigger and bigger uh, over the last year or two. And um, as people start to do their own yeast propagations and do their own storage of yeast strange, long-term storage, um, I think that there is inevitably going to be a need for uh, an in-house test in which you can double-check to make sure the mistakes weren't made and that you still have a pure yeast strain of your desired um, strain. Cool. And so, um, ultimately when that becomes more accessible, folks can thank both Allagash and master brewers, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and it, it really isn't, uh, too far fetched. I mean, the, uh, the actual science behind it is, is fairly, you know, you have to have uh, some background in this co- sort of thing, or at least have some time to dedicate to, to learning this sort of thing. But, um, as far as the materials and stuff, I think a lot of people already have the capabilities. Um, maybe not a lot of people, but there's a good majority of people in the brewing industry that already have some PCR technology and adding a small gel box, uh, is not a huge, uh, investment. And it really opens up the door to more and more testing and in-house capabilities. Ryan, tell us about the project at Surly um, that that went that's happened through this innovation fund. Yeah, we uh, have been looking into brewing or making an NA beer with microorganisms um, the last few years, and we just don't have the equipment to um, safely uh, produce a um, non-alcoholic beer, or that we thought we didn't. Um, and then I was coming across a lot of research about using different types of preservative techniques. Um, to make sure that the we could produce a NA beverage. Um, we're not really worried about um, the uh, initial fermentation and then bright tank. It's once it gets from the bright tank to our package because we don't have a sterile fill, filler for our cans. So how do we make it so it's stable over the long term? So we've been working a lot with different types of preservation techniques, both um, more common preservation techniques with benzoates and sorbates, and then uh, then also working with some other non-benzoate um, sorbates to see if you could produce a non-alcoholic beer safely in, in an, a regular brewing environment without a tunnel pasteurizer. Um, Along with that, we're also we also got seven different non-alcoholic yeast strains, so maltose and maltotriose negative yeast strains from about five different um, 
companies um, who are producing them. And then we ran full flavor analysis and sensory panel on them as well. So kind of doing it all at once, both the lab side and like the stabilization part, and then also the flavor aspects of it. And then just producing small batches to see um, how it's going to taste over the long term. So talk about, again, how that trickles down to member benefits. I'm assuming there's probably some requirement for you to publish your findings or to share this knowledge with the rest of the community, right? Yes. So I will uh, first be bringing some of the uh, non-alcoholic beers that I'm having to a workshop at the MBA conference in October. Um, but we are also going to be the, my lab specialist and myself are trying to write a paper and hopefully get it published um, or just submitted through the journal so that people can read it and uh, maybe poke holes in it, maybe be like, oh, this is something we could do um, in our brewery. Uh, so far, the results have been very promising. Uh, but I can't tell you 100% that this is going to work for everyone. Uh, it's just a way to make a non-alcoholic product without having to buy a quarter of a million dollar tunnel pasteurizer or expanding your brewery to in- install one. Yeah. yeah. And if I could interject here real quick, John, since you brought it up, um, part of the Innovation Fund um, uh, approval process was uh, that there is an expectation that when the projects are complete, and they have varying, you know, varying timelines, but when the projects are complete, that uh, there is some form of uh, bringing that content to the master brewers, whether it's uh, through a TQ paper, through a, a district meeting presentation, uh, or a master brewers presentation, uh, uh, master brewers conference presentation, or or uh, or poster. So something that brings the content to the to the greater uh, the greater membership at large that that was a big a big part of you know closing the loop on what this innovation fund was supposed to do right which is to create create new content that's accessible by all master brewers members hey maybe even some more podcasts for you down the road john coming up and there isn't really any index or any like, quality measurements around how aroma hops age over time. So I approached the MBAA and, um, and they said yes to a portion of it. They're funding about 13% of the project cost. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by BSG and their partners HVG, who bring you the very best in German hops, including Amira, the latest from their hop breeding program. With its classic, hoppy, slightly herbal, and zesty lemon aromas, it's the ideal hop for those looking to capture the traditional flavor of a classic German lager. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. 
with our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. BSI, your brewing partner since 1996, is your destination for top-quality liquid yeast cultures, lab services, and brewing products. BSI customizes your yeast orders for the perfect healthy pitch rate from a collection of over 300 strains. Most strains ship within seven days, but now try BSI's Express Yeast with industry-favorite strains shipped the next business day. As of 2023, BSI is proud to be a 100% employee-owned business. Professional brewers can call for a free same-day consultation or visit brewingscience.com to access over 50 years of brewing expertise. Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District St. Paul, Minneapolis is having a happy hour October 4th at Indeed Brewing Company. All proceeds benefit the district scholarship fund. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. District New England meets October 6th in Lyman. District St. Louis's annual fall meeting is October 12th. District Michigan's fall meeting will be at Founders Brewing in Grand Rapids October 19th. District Rocky Mountain meets at Ska Brewing in Durango, October 21st. District Southern California meets November 4th at Tarantula Hill Brewing. District Great Plains, District St. Louis, and the Missouri Craft Brewers Guild are holding a joint meeting November 10th and 11th in Springfield. District Southeast meets November 10th and 11th in Jacksonville, Florida. It's time to save the date for the 2024 World Brewing Congress, August 17th through the 20th in Minneapolis. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. Now back to the show. Okay, Tom, how uh, how is uh, OSU spending this money? Yeah, so the project that I pitched to the MBA Innovation Fund is actually a project that uh, was pitched originally to the Hop Research Council, um, and and it deals with hop aging, and the HRC had funding and was supporting it, but they didn't have enough funds. And so I've been, you know, as I was, I was trying to decide what to do. Do I just like put it on the shelf and do it later? But as I was talking to various folks 
in the industry about the project concept, I was getting lots of positive feedback and you know and some brewers were actually even stepping up and saying hey i'll help i'll help fund this so this project has got money from the hrc um, boston beer is, is um supporting a very large part of it um and um hot quality group is supporting part of it but nonetheless i s- still have holes in trying to make the whole project go because it's got a relatively large budget so i approached the mbaa and um and they said yes to a portion of it they're funding about 13 percent of the project cost and um some that's awesome takes a village right totally in this case mm-hmm. tell us give us a, you know, a little bit more information about the project itself you said hop aging are you talking about like yeah, rootstock, okay. rootstock right. aging are you talking about like uh, the stability of hops over time what, what, what's going on here yeah so the the when you look at how brewers assess hop quality particularly aged hop quality there's really one index that folks use which is the hop storage index it was actually developed here at oregon state by usda scientists um um, gail nickerson and sam likens back in the 70s and it looks at the loss of hop acid uh, content over time and this number this hsi index gives you a sense on on how much hop acid deterioration has occurred um, at any point in the process could be, you know, right at harvest or with aging. And so people use that as an index kind of for like a, a hop quality measurement. And I think that works when the focus is on hop acids, but the interest now with hops um, has expanded to include a very strong interest in hop aroma, hop forward beers, uh, like take any IPA and particularly these heavily dry hop, tasty, juicy IPAs, hop acids are really in the back seat, or if not even in the car at all, the, the, the hop acid content is, is, you know, kind of a, just a byproduct of, um, focusing on hop aroma content. And there isn't really any index or any like quality measurements around how aroma hops age over time. And so this project is going to look at, uh, a, a number of different hops that kind of exemplify different classes of hops. So sort of German continental hops, um, the classic American sort of sea hop, you know, Cascade, and the former would be Hollertau. And then the newer lines that are really driven by by terpenes and also thiols. Um, so Citra is an, an example there. And just look at how these hops are changing as um, as hops age in, in storage. And you know, part of the rationale is that the inventories that the industry has right now of hops has been growing, um, both the dealer side as well as the brewer side. And um, I hear from brewers uh, and particularly like supply chain managers that are like, you know, my brewers are, are telling me like this year, okay, I want to be brewing with Harvester 2022. And the folks in the inventory say, well, you know, we've got, you know, Harvester 19 and Harvester 20, which are perfectly fine. And the brewers push back and say, no, I want, the, I want only the freshest hops. And that creates this interesting dilemma as, as you have these inventories building, how do you go about actually allocating which hops go where? And there's no data to point to, that, to for on either side to someone either push back and say, hey, these hops are inferior or uh, consequently, or you know, conversely, someone to say these hops are, are perfectly fine uh, because people will look at the or perhaps even better. Or maybe even better. Exactly. I mean, there's there's some evidence that hop aging um, can uh, have a beneficial effect on certain class of hop, hop aromatics. And so, you know, part of the project is looking at does the HSI work 
for aroma hops. I mean, and, and I've heard mixed stories anecdotally around whether it does and it doesn't. I mean, who knows? Maybe hop aging does correlate with hop aroma. Um, but I think there's plenty of, of, you know, possibilities that it doesn't correlate. Uh, that hop aroma is kind of a different, has a different set of dynamics than, than um, hop aging. And so while the project isn't just solely a quest for like a, a new aging parameter, is to understand does the HSI mean anything um, uh, in terms of hop aroma? Um, and if it doesn't, what other changes occur chemically? What sort of changes occur sensorily? What tr- changes occur from a brewing characteristic? And in the end, hopefully it gives the industry a set of tools to look at so that when they're looking at what they've got in inventory, you know, whether either be a brewer or someone who's managed an inventory, they can make decisions about which hops are usable. Uh, and if it's questionable, what part of the brewing process can hops be used in um, or whether hops need to be, um, you know, not used. Um, and So Tom, what's the timeline on this? Is it going to, uh, I can't imagine you're going to have all this together in time uh, to figure out whether or not you're going to save us from this uh, massive inventory that's building. <laughs> I know it's like the project right now is, is, uh, starting as a three-year project, so this first year gets gets the project, um, you know, kind of gets us looking at existing inventories and doing some deep chemical analysis um, uh, that are tied to data that dealers have um, based upon their harvest um, chemistry measurements, but also starting some accelerated aging studies that look at the influence of different pro-oxidative conditions, whether it be storing in the presence of oxygen, um, the use of, uh, not the use, but just having pro-oxidative metals like iron or copper, and then, and then you know, modest amounts of heat to try to move oxidation or hop deterioration quickly so we can chemically measure it. We don't have to, you know, this isn't, I don't want this to be a project that takes five years to, to carry out. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Tom. You bet. Kurt, how about you? Uh, why don't you tell us what you're working on? Well, I think it's a, a nice little segue from what Tom was just talking about. He's talking about the front end, you know, of looking at uh, how uh, the hops stored and aged and um, how that affects their performance in the end product. So ours is a little bit more modest than that, but it's essentially looking at, um, and it's a piggyback, like I said, on our old project, I have this uh, uh, adversarial role with the IBU that I've been particularly uh uh, participant in the uh, MBA over the years in kind of throwing it around and hoping that we'd have a better metric. Um, uh, and, and so what we're looking for in, in our study is uh, is looking at, at hop staling in the beer products themselves, a different type, and particularly picking on, on uh, dry hopped beers, um, just because they're such a... Uh, as as you said, we, one of the most interesting things that came out of our uh, 2016, you know, bitterness project, and and, and looking at that from a you know a, a craft brew uh, perspective, um, was some of the fun things we got to do, and and uh, we did uh, one part of it where you know we had quite a few people showed this during that time, so it wasn't wasn't us, and Shellhammer did, and May did, whatever, but just seeing that you know the the dry hopping uh, process actually you know steals the ISO out of suspension, you know, kind of goes back into the green matter. And so we were trying to show some of that and we had a uh, Hopsteiner volunteered to give us some, uh, some of their, you know, extracted or spent hops to do a couple of beers that just with spent hops, all the alpha had been removed. 
they went through enough trouble with us to make sure that the hops didn't go through the piping and get too hot. So they, they shut down the machine just for us to steal about 20 kilograms um, to send us. And as part of that, you know, is the, the idea was that, you know, you're, you're putting in this, this green matter with all these other uh, items in it other than alpha, you know, and we t- historically you tend to buy your hops based on its alpha rate and all that when in fact there's so many other things going on in there and it's just something that you know hasn't really looked at as far as uh as how that how that goes over time so we're, we're pretty much putting it against you know kind of a standard you know uh standard beer uh 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 uh, Pilsner that uh, is fairly heavily hopped um, and actually uses uh, is, is supplemented in the in the kettle with some extract and then we're using basically an, uh, an IPA that's being uh, dry hopped at the end but the most of the stuff at the beginning of the process is pretty much the same so we're basically kind of not only trying to track the the kind of fate and transport of of uh, hop products uh, from the, the kettle on. So to kind of see what it looks like. It's all right. So here's, here's what happens when you use this year's, you know, this, this type of, of extract on the kettle, you know, these hops, this is what happens over time. If it is dry hop, this is what happens if it isn't dry hopped. Um, and then getting a lot of uh, kind of a, a multiple uh, HPLC type uh, analysis of constituents that are in there. Um, we're also utilizing not just uh, 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 Hopsteiner's help in this particular uh project, which we're very grateful for, but also a couple of uh, universities in St. Louis have, have uh, been participating in us in the past. We had a, a paper written a couple of years ago about a kind of a, a novel uh, miser uh, mass spec um, uh, process uh, to, to quickly screen beer. It was meant to be um, uh, more of kind of a fast, a fast QC test. Um, and so we're going to kind of try to also validate that question or validate that process a little bit more and trying to figure out, um, you know, good ways, especially for, for small brewers to get a much better understanding of, of the, the true shelf life of their, uh, of their beers and the stability of the flavor. But also um, the deliverable, I think, to the industry isn't just, oh, OK, it's a, it's a shelf life study, but not really. Um, what we're really looking at is, you know, I know the uh, MBA meeting last year in Rhode Island, you know, we talked a lot about sustainability and it's also kind of, uh, kind of getting at a point where the innovation is, well, you know, uh, there's a lot of green matter being thrown around with all the different ways people use hops and beer. And it's like, is this is hopefully going to help steer us? Is there a, is there a better way to do it? Is it, is it a time where maybe we should start looking at, um, you know, the use, the more widespread use, I should say, of, of more uh, focused uh, hot products in, in craft brewing, you know, it, it already is happening, but, you know, we need to kind of monitor that research in real time, you know, when they start doing various types of extract and the more you're, you know, it's getting more targeted at what you're actually adding to your beer. Um, so we're hoping that that's kind of like how it'll play out as we'll get some better ideas of just how, you know, just kind of helping people get a little elucidation into some of the wasteful, uh, uh, potentially, I should say, uh, wasteful processes um, utilizing hops since it's such a valuable resource that we all spend lots and lots of money on. Um, it'd be kind of a smarter way to use them to get uh, better and more stable outcomes. Okay. Mark, I want you to tell us how the Master Brewers Safety Committee is um, helping to keep brewers safer with use of the innovation fund. Yeah, what we're trying to do is, um, you know, what we've seen over the years when we do presentations at some of the national conferences and then we have safety segments in each of the um, 
classes that they have for like maintenance and packaging and brewing. And we give the you know participants there this glimpse of safety requirements, how to build safety into their brewing process and packaging process. But what we're finding is that it's just kind of scraping the surface and they, they're begging for more knowledge on this. So it's a, it's a gap. It's kind of a brainchild that I had where I took this back to the committee before we knew about the innovation funds and said, hey, we, we really should look at trying to build a certificate program or something like that where a craft brewer could send a, um, you know, an employee through there to learn more about lockout tagout or powered industrial trucks or confined space entry and give them a more in-depth knowledge and that where if we use a, a, a focused safety program like that, we can really concentrate on training that individual to help uh, build a, a fundamental knowledge on that topic for them that they can take back to their brewery and actually write programs, write training, procedures, et cetera, et cetera, to help build safety into that, um, that brewery. And that um, we're seeing an increase in injuries related to, um, you know, small craft breweries because it's, you know, there's this big knowledge gap there. They don't know what they don't know. And I can't tell you how many times after a presentation or a training class I've had, you know, small brewers come up and say, I didn't even know we were supposed to do this. And, you know, they need more knowledge. They're really starving for it. And that's where I saw the Master Brewers Association. If we could build this certificate program, we could really help fill that gap and really make an impact on on uh, brewing beer safely out there. So that's what we're going to try to do is uh, uh, we're going to look at taking four topics first, lockout, tagout, confined space, powered industrial trucks, and, and um, either HASCOM or PPE, but build a specific program you know, a certificate program tailored to that topic. And we've got all kinds of information already out there on the MBAA, you know, with template programs, we've got training programs out there, we've got toolbox talks, but it'll help pull and utilize all of those resources and some of the technical papers that are also out there and use that as some of the uh, the learnings or the material that the um, these uh, individuals will go through and, and be exposed to. And then also show them the OSHA regulations. Now, we're not going to give them all the answers, but um, we will give them a basic fundamental knowledge and skill set on how to build these programs, um, you know, how to put it together in their brewery. But then if they don't know the answer, we'll sure tell them where to look for it and how to find that answer. So that's our main goal is to, to provide that opportunity for them through the Master Brewers Association and uh, just help them, you know, develop a skill set in these really focused specific topics. And then, uh, you know, hope is that after we build these four, we're going to expand it into, you know, a lot of other areas and get into safety culture, safety committees and things of that nature, too. So, again, we see a big need out there. And uh, uh, what's really going to help us instead of trying to build it piecemeal through the safety committee, we'll have these uh, these funds available through the uh, the innovation fund and and uh, allow us to make a more formalized process out of it and really develop a good product that the end users I, I feel will be you know really really useful for them. Nice. Yeah. If I can jump in real quick, um, I I'm very excited about all of these projects and I'm very excited about what what Mark and the safety committee proposed because it it checks a lot of our um, kind of strategic goals at the master brewers you know it, it provides uh improves our educational offerings um it's going to be leveraging our new lms system that we're we're implementing this year and i think it could provide a template for for further offerings and and micro credentialing that that we've talked about doing um 
at the uh, at the executive committee level for for several years. So I think it's uh, and it's and it's safety, right? I mean, we all we all want to make sure everybody comes home safe. So it's it's you know first and foremost, I'm I'm really excited that we're starting on the safety side of things. But I think this could lead to a lot more uh, educational uh, content and opportunities uh, for for mass brewers down the road. For folks who want to learn more about the Master Brewers Innovation Fund, where should they go? Well, they should consider joining the executive board one day in the future. Um, but outside of that, I'm pretty sure we've got a link to it. And uh, when it's time to start collecting abstracts, we do send out uh, reminders about that sort of thing, too. Yeah, we'll have an application period open opening later this year, early next year, I believe. So you uh-huh. said, um, I guess you said it uh, it closed on tax day last year. Is that right? Or this year? I mean, yeah, it, cl- it closed April 15th this year okay, um, so, and it will uh, reopen at the beginning of next year. Uh, and for, same cycle. Close same around. cycle. Yeah. yeah. And there, uh, so for, for people that are interested, uh, if you go to the master brewers website and go to the district resources page, uh, you can see there's a couple of links there right near the top in in the basics section uh, for the in, uh, innovation fund request process as well as the innovation fund application. Right now, there there were documents in Excel documents, and I think we're going to try to make those more like a web form. But um, those okay. are those are there on the district resources page. <laughs> That was, in no particular order, Molly Browning, Kurt Driesner, Doug Wilson, Tom Shellhammer, Lauren Torres, Mark Yegi, Ryan Bross, and Mike Beyond here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Check the show notes for a direct link to the district resources page where you can find more information about the Innovation Fund request process and application. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers Podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.